My name is Era, and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator Podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates, and entertains you. I've been working really hard to deliver amazing guests and great content to you. But before we get into this week's episode, I just need your help with two things. Number one, hit that subscribe or follow button on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on so that you're one of the first to get notified when new episodes drop in the future. Number two, go to thetamilcreator.com to take a two-minute quiz that will tell you what kind of creator you are. I would love to hear what results you get. Your support means more than you'll ever know. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Tamil Creator. I'm your host, Era, and today I have some awesome guests. Uh, they're part of a group called Bindi Bosses, all the way from Australia. I'm doing an Australian accent, but I can't. Uh, their names are Shamala and Raghavi. Um, Shamala is the founding director, and Raghavi is also just part of the team as well. Uh, today, we're just going to kind of get into their story, kind of why uh, Bindi Bosses was started, kind of some of the impact that Bindi Bosses has had, culturally uh, telling social or like exploring social issues and kind of get to know uh, these two um, ladies as well. So why don't we start off by you guys telling us a bit about yourself, your family, your upbringing, and kind of why Bindi Bosses was started. Sure. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for having us. This is, I think, the first podcast we've done um, Bindi Bosses, so it's cool that it's international. Woo! That's awesome. You guys are my first podcast with guests from Australia, so there's a first. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Um, so speaking of Australia, one thing we always do is acknowledge the land that we're on. So we are currently coming to you from Dark Land, which is the name of um, the First Nations traditional custodians, um, and just acknowledging that the land we're on, uh, sovereignty was never ceded, and this always wasn't, always will be Aboriginal land. Um, so I guess, what was your question? <laughs> uh, a bit more about yourselves and your upbringing. Upbringing. Okay. So Raghavi and I have very different stories. Um, I was born here in what's known as Australia. Uh, my father came out here during uh, what was known as the White Australia policy, which was a overtly racist policy that prevented people of non-European descent from entering the country. So the, he was able to be here um, because his father was posted here. So he was here as a person of colour at a time where pe people of colour were prohibited from being in Australia. Um, so that really formed, I guess, my upbringing because that informed his choice not to teach language to me. So I didn't grow up um, speaking either Hindi or Tamil. Um, yeah, kind of got quite whitewashed. Whereas for Raghavi... Yeah, so I, um, I was actually born in Switzerland and um, I came here when I was about six years old um and yeah my parents really really wanted me to to be able to have tradition and culture and language so polar opposites i guess um and yeah i mean i i definitely grew up around an area where there was a lot of aboriginal and torres strait islanders um and regardless of that my parents were still like you've got to learn tamil um and then we ended up moving to an area where there was predominantly a lot of Tamil people. It felt like um, we were like back in a village. <laughs> um, everyone around was a Tamil. There was like Tamil food, 
culture. Yeah, you can you can walk down the street and everyone knew who you were. So, wow. um, yeah, it was it was pretty. It was look. Sometimes when you were a child, you you felt like oh my gosh, like I want to just have hip hop and you know, <laughs> just do the things that I like normal people I guess would do around me, but. Um, I'm I'm super grateful for it nowadays. Mm. Yeah. I was the same actually. Like for me, the place to find myself because I grew up in an area called the Sutherland Shire, and it is um, very very Anglo-Saxon. So even to this day, I mean, there's a lot more mix. It's a lot more mixed, but even within Sydney, it's got a bit of a reputation for being this sort of one of the final bastions of white supremacy. Mm. Um, oh wow! So, yeah, I was like literally. <laughs> the only Indian kid at school. I was the first one through of colour and, um, yeah, I got bullied a lot for that. Sorry, did uh, you say Queensland? No, so we were in New South Wales. New South Wales, okay. I thought yes. because cause I, I watched an Australian movie. I thought it was called Queensland and it was about kind of where the pockets of white supremacy were in mm -hmm. Australia. So I thought that was it. Okay, so never mind. Oh, Go wow. ahead. There's yeah. a movie about that that's yeah. made it to That's amazing. <laughs> It was a, it was an international film festival, so I think that's why it kind of came all the Very way. Thing I'd like to see that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, which obviously yeah meant that I, I I it was it was interesting though because my because my father was one of the first Indian families to actually migrate to Australia. They at that time, so this is in the sixties. They knew all the other Indian families mm -hmm. and especially all the other Tamil families. So they would all get together and go to like the one spice shop together. And ironically, we're actually working with one of the women um, that my dad knew at that time, who is now a director of an art center, Bankstown wow. Art Center. Um, shout out to Vandana Ram, who's very supportive of buses. And we rehearse there now. It's just crazy that intergenerational. Um, full circle. Yeah, full circle and That's that cultural cool. connection and how strong I think it is, especially within the Tamil community. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about is, so um, in doing TamilCulture.com, we've kind of learned, or I've learned about different pockets of Tamil diaspora communities across the world. So I didn't know there was like a big one in South Africa, Mauritius, uh, yeah. New Zealand. So I think in Toronto, we take it very grant, uh, for granted how like densely populated the Tamil pockets are. Like it's crazy in a place called Scarborough, which is like Little Jaffna, um, literally like instead of like a normal grocery store every block every other block there's like a Tamil grocery store it's like so if you're someone that came from like say India or Sri Lanka and you moved to like Scarborough you would feel right at home so can you oh. tell us a bit about kind of the Australian Tamil community like how is it is it like very densely populated in certain places or is it sparsely like populated well, yeah, I mean, look, Australia is one of the most multicultural countries in the world. So we've got everyone and they all seem to find their own community. So there's, you know, we've got an entire um, suburb where there's just Koreans that, you know, densely populate that area and, and Chinese and same thing, Sri Lankans and Indians. And um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I grew up where there was a lot of, so there's a place called Homebush where back in the day, everyone used to live around there. And then one by one, they started to migrate over to another area out west and everyone decides to follow. So mm. I think it's because, you know, like we like to be around our community. We like security and, and um, it's just 
comforting. I know definitely for my mum was very comforting to come to a new country, um, having to, you know, live in Switzerland before, learn so many different languages. Now she's got to learn a whole new language. Um, she just wants to feel, you know, comfortable and have other people around her that speak mm. Tamil um, and have the culture which, well. which is really interesting because at the time that that was happening, I was in the little white pocket of, a, of, <laughs> of thinking that I was literally the only brown person <laughs> in the whole of Australia. So um, I guess the, the metropolitan, like the city areas, and there's a huge and very incredible population in the western suburbs of Sydney. So that's kind of what where the real Sydney is mm. in terms of, um, you know, really strong culture, culture and like unapologetic culture. Like mm. people, are we allowed to swear on your podcast, by the way? Yeah, you can definitely be yeah. as real, be as real <laughs> as you want to be, but uh, hopefully not swearing all the time. But yes, <laughs> I just like you can you can really because at the moment I'm teaching in an area called Fairfield, and there's just this vibe of like just do your thing like unapologetically it's you're not trying to like fit in with I guess the white norms that have been laid out for us and it's really great that the further west you go I feel like people give less of a shit about trying to fall in with like the white Australia mm, that's true idea right yeah so the deeper you go it's just like okay I gotta get my game face on now I need to like get into a whole different mentality because yeah. it's like different rules apply yeah when somebody talks to you guys and asks you where you're from or like how you identify yourself, do you first say Australian or do you say Tamil or do you say Indian? Uh, that is such a good question because that's a huge one that like everybody who's not white get asked gets mm. asked even if they've been here for generations. So where are you from? When people say that, I, first of all, I correct them. I'm like, are you asking about my cultural ancestry? Yeah. First of all, just to make that point. Um, and then they're like, yeah, 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 that's what I mean. Because um, if you say Australia, they'll say, where are you really from? Yeah. Which yeah. is very frustrating. And I'm sure that probably happens. Does that happen in Canada, in Toronto, or not so much? It's funny because the areas I've always grown up, I felt like um, white people were essentially minority groups. Like it was uh, like... You've got a big, you've got a big um, Caribbean population there as yeah. well, don't well, you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to like... Uh, question what Raggedy is saying about Australia being one of the most diverse um, countries in the world, but I think Canada, specifically Toronto, is probably the most diverse. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm sure from what we've seen, yours is probably better integrated. I mean, Australia is a very young country still, yeah. so we're still sort of getting our shit together on that front. But, mm. um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I say... First of all, yeah, so I correct them. I say, if you're asking about my cultural ancestry, my mother is from Fiji, my father is from India, my mother speaks Hindi, my dad speaks Tamil. I grew up, and it, it's hard as well because Australia in itself is a problematic term because it's a colonized term. So mm. um, we're increasingly also as Bindi bosses trying to attach ourselves to the names of the traditional country that we're on so Darug, Darawal, whatever it is and, and educating ourselves on that basis rather than sort of attaching to the idea of Australia even because that that is problematic mm, yeah well with me they they try to ask me that question through my name they're like oh Raghavi that's that's interesting where does it come from um and I just say it's you know it's it's a Tamil name it mm. comes from Sanskrit um, generally people don't know where that is and I go okay well I'll go into a little bit more depth so my parents are Sri Lankan Tamil um, yeah 
But yeah, I get I get confusing ones because I've got curly hair as well. People don't really know where I'm I'm from, but I'm so <laughs> proud of being a Sri Lankan Tamil who yeah has, looks and and like and I think you know meeting Raghavi has been awesome for me because I'm Tamil via like Chennai, so I didn't realize the differences. I I I, I you know ignorantly thought you know, because I grew up in such a white area and I didn't really understand the nuances that, like, all Tamils were kind of the same. And, wow, really not. (laughs) No, it's so interesting you kind of said that because I have friends or I know people that are Indian Tamil and they always refer to themselves as Indian first versus I feel like it's a very Sri Lankan Tamil thing to refer to yourself as Tamil first. Like, if somebody asks me what I am. Actually, I'm, you are so right. And I, I don't know if that's like a little bit of like lateral racism that's going on there either, because my dad would always be, whenever I mentioned him in the interviews and stuff, and I'd refer to him as Tamil, he actually would say to me, could you please make sure that you say Indian Tamil? Otherwise people will think I'm Sri Lankan. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's also that Tamils, at least the ones that I know or like kind of know in Toronto, don't like to identify themselves as Sri Lanka because of kind of all the issues associated with that. Mm. So I think it's like Tamil is like their primary identity. And then yeah. I think here, do, would you say that the identity is Sri Lankan Tamil? Like would people ask? What would I don't you know. Say? It really depends on every person. Mm. And for myself, I don't mind because, you know, my parents are very proud of being Sri Lankan Tamil. So that's mm. how they raised me. But I know certain people definitely would be like, no, no, I'm, I'm just Tamil. I don't relate to my country, which, yeah. Yeah. Each to their own. Yeah. yeah. Now, let me ask you the big question, which we haven't got to yet, which is why did you guys call the group Bindi Bosses? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Raghavi and I, um, so I was putting together shows, doing kind of Bollywood gigs and, and stuff at, uh, before Bindi Bosses. And it never really sat in a hundred percent right with me because, you know, I wasn't a very, I didn't grow up traditionally. It did feel like I was kind of pandering to a Western notion of what Indian culture is. So before Bindi Bosses, um, I put on this show, um, called the Desi dance experience actually before that, no, was that dance through India was the first one dance through India. So I just left a, um, Bollywood performance company that I was in and I was like exploring and I wanted to do what my idea at the time was a very authentic show. So something that showcased like folk culture. So showcasing, um, you know, Punjabi roots and, um, you know, Gujarati roots and, and showing the differences and Rajasthan as well. We did Guma. So um, I've done a lot of traveling to and from India just to educate myself and experience and train. Um, and it was a great show. Um, we did like Choli Ke Piche, um, but then added and then Guma as well and then ended with Bangra and Dol. But then at the end, I was like, I've got this like kick-ass Afro dancer here. Um, Raghavi and Jess is um, the other sort of uh, original Bindi boss. We call us the OG BBs. <laughs> and so it was it was a great show and like the audience loved it because it was a lot more sort of close to a folk and traditional route. But for us, I was like, I just feel like we're kind of sidelining all the other stuff that makes us amazing as mm. artists so that we can try and fit this notion of authenticity. Yeah. So I originally had the chat and I called us um, Bindi Babes at, originally. That was the original thing. And we were just doing gigs. It wasn't like a formal company. We were just, just the name of the chat. 
And I don't know, I just, um, I mean, I, first of all, I identify as non-binary. So I think babe just seemed very feminine to me and maybe not as inclusive. And I just literally woke up one morning. I'm like, I don't want to be a babe. I want to be, you know, we're, yeah. we're bosses. Like we're, <laughs> we're owning our, not just our styles, but we're sort of reclaiming the bindi because a bindi was not something that I could grow up wearing. It was referred to as like, ah, oh, you look like you've been shot in the head. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I, I grew up with Bindi shame. So mm. I think bin, for, for me anyway, Bindi. Wait, somebody actually said that to you? Oh, that's a very common. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. okay. you know, it's like a gunshot. <laughs> and, and because you don't really grow up being told specifically what a Bindi means, it's just part of your culture. You have to navigate and discover that for yourself. Mm. Um, so once I did, I was like, oh, my God, the, the, the meaning behind the bindi of like connecting to your, you know, your Ajna Chakra and connecting to universal consciousness. It's got such a beautiful, deep meaning to it. I mm. want to wear that with pride. So I feel like there's a lot of things culturally that we're not actually explained to as children. Uh, we're just kind of told you do this and this and this. And whenever that you ask why, you get a good backhand or like some. Kind <laughs> yeah. of, you know. that's, that's so true. <laughs> I remember going to the temple and going, why do we walk around in this direction and this many times? Yeah, yeah. And my dad's just like, you just do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and, but the difference is when you grow up in your country, I don't, I don't know if you know more or less, but it's, it's more important when you're growing up removed from that cultural route yeah. that it is explained to you. And I, to be honest, I don't think my parents did a very good job of that. Mm. I feel like Raghavis did. Do you know what? It's it's the same situation. Like we're we're just told to do something just because, and you follow it. And we, funnily enough, that you say that because at the beginning of um, us starting Bindi Bosses as well, we we were like, we have to re start questioning why we do things in our culture and our tradition, and yeah. why it's just the way it is. Because they were probably made, you know, hundreds of years ago by who knows who we've we've got to see if it's really you know if, if we can still have that kind of meaning in the modern context as well mm, mm. and every time we come up with a new concept with the girls we have intense conversations about whether we should do something okay can that be you know mended or molded can we break the rules around this yeah and i think that's what bindi bosses became for me at least like constantly um, questioning. questioning. Mm. Um, I can give you an example. So in our first video, there are two aspects of it that you won't really see much of anymore. And the first was um, we are wearing sindur in our part line. Mm. So we had to have a whole conversation around that because um, obviously sindur is a you know quite a spiritual thing, and it's a, very much a sign of marriage um, as well. So I didn't mind wearing it because I was you know I'm. I'm, I'm not that um, traditional or conservative, whereas Jess, for example, wasn't comfortable. She said, I don't really feel comfortable because she's got that understanding of what that means. Um, even today, for example, Raghavi and I just had a discussion mm. when she came. I was like, oh, are you going to, you know, do you want a red bindi? And she said, oh, oh, but the red, you know, the red bindi is associated with marriage. I'm like, yeah, it's true, but it's also the bindi boss's brand. So in her outside of bindi boss's life, she's still, under, you know, it still plays out. So, mm. you know, that's why I've got a red bindi on today. Not that you can see it. And rather be, <laughs> he's got a black one. But because I haven't grown up so steeped in that culture, I'm probably more willing to break traditions because I haven't grown up being sort of, um, I guess, molded in that particular way. But, 
you have to respect those different experiences. Um, and that, you know, we try to uh, allow for that within Binli Bosses, for example, when we do classical Indian dance, mm. when we got new dancers who have done their Iyengetram and are, you know, very connected to their spiritual and artistic practice, they were very uncomfortable with doing certain movements with shoes on. And in our first video, you see we've got Sindhara in our part and, you know, we're wearing shoes doing classical movements. I was fine with that at the time because my, my dear Kuchipudi guru, um, you know, and his, his daughter was actually our stylist. However, you know, just because I'm fine with it, I can't make all my company be fine with it. So mm -hmm. they, you know, one of the girls, and she's an amazing Bharatanatyam dancer, spoke up and said, I'm not really comfortable with this. And then we, we had a discussion around mm -hmm. it. And, and we decided that, yeah, you know, it's really important in the dance style that we do that we connect with the earth because that's yeah. what it's about. It's about actually physically connecting with the earth as we practice. So you will notice that we don't really wear sneakers anymore yeah. unless it's an outdoor gig and we need to protect our feet. <laughs> um yeah yeah so i had a question around the kind of in the creative space so i guess the first one i'll kind of go into is in the tamil community generally being in the creative arts especially if it's kind of like something you want to make want to say quote unquote full-time is kind of frowned upon um mm. based on kind of things i've seen at least in the canadian community it's, it's slowly starting to change but have you found that kind of doing something like mini bosses do people in the community take what you're doing seriously like you guys this is not like i know it's like a, a passion and i think you guys have made it more into kind of aiming to make it into a living but is it something people take seriously or is it kind of like they, people brush it off as like a hobby or just something you do for fun that's what's been so cool about being the bosses i feel like we've been so well respected and taken seriously not just by um you know the south asian community by other people of color because they recognize what we're doing. They understand that struggle of going, okay, I've, I've lived in both these worlds. How do I, you know, successfully merge them and still be me and not feel like I have to be my full traditional self, um, but also be modern. So I, I feel like we've been kind of, so I want to throw this to Raghavi because she's progressively been becoming more of a creative over the last few years. I've <laughs> been self-employed as a creative for seven years, but I think she's told me a few stories recently about um, her parents and how they've um, progressively sort of been more and more proud of her and, and yeah. her creative pursuits. So. I guess, I mean, you know, growing up in the Tamil, um, in a Tamil family, they don't always consider, they want you to do the arts as a young, as a young in, you know, they want you to do the vuna, the violin, sangi, the dance, Bharatanatyam, but like strictly tr traditional. And that's what I grew up with. I was, very very traditional growing up um but if any time that i wanted to do like drumming or hip-hop they were like nope cut that out mm. it's not going to happen um so when i was old enough i started to do those things myself and i think even as a society you know we consume so much um we consume so so many you know things um every day like music dance but we don't think we can make a living out of it. Or when we see people that are dancers, we go, oh, you're just a dancer. Do you do that on the side? Mm. Um, but I think more so now, um, yeah, uh, I feel like when people ask me, they go, yeah, that's what you do. That's You're a dancer. Um, and I, I think there's also a cultural thing there where, you know, our traditional arts were performed at temples. They weren't mm. something that was to be monetized. So I think there's a cultural aspect to it as well of like, oh, you're making money off something that is um, worship. 
you know, mm. or that is taking elements of worship. So, um, yeah, I think it's important to just that's that's why there's that responsibility on what we're doing to not just be entertaining and to never just pander to other people's idea of us because we are we are you know in control of that and we there's a big responsibility not just for our cultures but for the cultural dances that we fuse to actually be aware and and make sure that we're you know when you when you do get money when you, when you receive income for something um you've got to make sure you've done the work and that you continue to do the work as well. It's an, it's an ongoing process. You can't mm. just, you know, take a few classes and something and then start teaching it. That's something we talk about um, as well a lot in Bindi Bosses. What do we have the right to teach? What yeah. do we have the right to perform? Um, so every move that you see in our choreography, every dance move that we t- um, teach, there would have been a huge discussion around it because... Yeah. We, we, we do receive money for doing that, um, and with that comes responsibility. And so, you know what's funny you say that? Sorry. Um, you know, either the Bharatanatyam or it's the flip side where it's Bollywood, and then mm. you think, you know, they go, oh, that's just a showy little thing. But, mm. yeah, I mean, it's taken a really long time for my parents to come around. I've had so many conversations with them. Um, but now... Just, just so you know, she's a she's got a background in forensic science. <laughs> okay. so, so yeah they were like all right you're going to be a forensic scientist not a doctor okay you're going to be you know in the arts as well okay so it was really confusing for them because it's it's just so simple for for when someone asks oh yeah she's just a doctor or an engineer i think that's one of the reasons why parents want us to be that as well um but but that being said i don't think my parents would have been comfortable with me doing what i did had i not got my bachelor's in communications and my mm. master's in human rights law and my dad will still go and tell people that i'm a human rights lawyer which i am definitely not like <laughs> um, but yeah I, I think and and for me it's also been exposing the parents so my mom comes my mom's so good she's like our biggest fan she comes to all oh, the workshops she's so cute. she comes her. to the gigs <laughs> she like feeds us when we're gonna do a shoot and she's such a fan and she but it, it's taken time. Even with my very Western upbringing, it took a long time for my parents to realize that that struggle that they had. So my dad's a Carnatic singer. So I grew up going to temples. He was performing. But it was never an option for him to make a living out of it. There was no living to be made. Yeah. yeah. And our parents, they basically, you know, they're coming from one country to another. Their, their role was very functional. They had to lay roots for us. So what I always try to remind my parents is, you know, you did that so I could have choices, mm. you know. And, yeah. and by me living my passion by being a dancer or a writer or a choreographer or whatever, that's me, you know, being able to honor what whatever sacrifices you made so that I can do what I want. So, you know, why would you want me to be an accountant? My my whole family's accountants, by the way. <laughs> Without them I couldn't function my business. But um <laughs> but yeah, like I, I yeah, I think it's in, it's it's an intergenerational thing as well and just yeah, showing them, showing them that it can be done. Yeah, and on this on the topic of kind of education and like using dance as, as a form of educating people, um, you know, you guys had that TEDx opportunity. Maybe talk about a bit about that, um, how that opportunity came to be. What was the impact of you actually participating? And yeah, just yeah, talk a bit about that. Sure. So um, we were very blessed. I think I remember I got a call from. Um, 
Fenella, who said, hi, my name's Fenella. I'm the curator of TEDx. I've come across your work and we want to see you in our program this year, which was very exciting. And it was awesome because we, we really were guided in how to put that together in a way. So it, and I think the coolest thing was it started off, she, she gave us freedom basically to do what we wanted and trusted us. And I think that's one thing I love when people come to Bindi bosses because of whatever they've seen us put out, they trust us. They don't try to tell us what to do. Mm. Um, so it, you know, it went from just being a dance performance to being, um, you know, she said, do you want to say a few words at the beginning? And that became a whole spoken word piece, which is actually a standalone piece now that supports um, the dance that we did. And to create that standalone piece that with the spoken word, I actually engaged my entire team and I asked them to um, tell me, well, we all we had a little, we, we are nerds and we're brown. So there was a spreadsheet. <laughs> And yeah, I said, you know, what does dance mean to you? And I asked them all the questions that I wanted to put um, into the speech. So I highly recommend everyone go and check that out because even though I'm speaking and I do speak from my lived experience, I integrated um, the experiences of, for example, my dancers who were born in Hyderabad, who have born in Malaysia, who, um, you know, Switzerland, and then, you know, has that history of the Sri Lanka in mm. their bloodlines, all of that actually within it was a great process because we were able to go okay well why do we dance what is it and and the common thing was is it's that one place where we can be free and the truest version of ourselves and we can connect and we can express and we can connect with culture without having to talk or without necessarily needing the language of you know the spoken word which i don't have which is why dance is so important for us so I guess I know you asked about like what impact did that have on the audience. I think the impact that it had was whatever it was, it was because it, it I think they resonated with the authenticity of the place we were coming from and the fact mm. that we weren't actually doing it for the audience at all. Mm. Um, if I were to add to that, I think I didn't ask it properly, but it was more like I know looking at kind of the work you guys do and how you use Bindi Bosses as a platform to speak about social issues. <clears throat> social issues. So you talked about, I know you're very heavy on, or I put an emphasis on kind of aboriginal like rights and issues. So I wasn't sure if like the dance had any kind of like beyond the dance itself, if it opened up conversations that you could have around other subject matters that you are passionate about talking about and engage di like meaningful dialogue on. Yeah, definitely. Well, the first, the actual uh, piece that we did was three tracks. The first was Medigen by um, Baker Boy, uh, who's a First Nations artist, and Jess B, who's a woman of colour. And um, so that's why we wanted to open with that, because that was our way of saying, you know, we respect the land and, you know, we acknowledge the fact that we all our experiences that are being had are having are being had on land where sovereignty wasn't ceded. Um, so you know, that was part of the speech as well. We're saying, you know, we dance for so many different reasons. We dance to connect, we dance to reflect, we dance to forget some of our pain, we dance to remember, we dance to acknowledge, you know, traditional owners of the lands that we're on. We dance for all those reasons. Um, and then the second part of it was a very, uh, was a kutu piece, right? By, actually, you told me about this artist. Yes, uh, it was Nars. Patasu. Yeah, Patasu yeah. by Nars 47. I think oh, yeah. she... She's Canadian, yeah. She's awesome. I love her. Hers. Oh, <laughs> we're so like Naz and 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 the last one was Cartel Madras. Yeah. Yeah. 
Casa Madras is also Canadian. Canadian. Indian. Yeah. Tamils, right? You got something oh. going. You're we doing do. something right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I told you Toronto is an awesome place. Yeah. Oh, I love Yeah. We, we, like, we go just, we'll tour there. <laughs> <laughs> it opens up. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think, and yeah, it, it, it did. It, it brought up the ability to have lots of conversations. We've actually had a lot of um, gigs come out of that mm. and people who, yeah, really kind of understood what we were trying to put out there and and realise that we're trying to dance with a level of self-awareness and social consciousness. So, mm. yeah, I think we always have conversations um, within our group. Uh, it's funny, we, we talk as much about other things as we do about the actual dancing itself around, you know, um, actually engaging with the stories of the artists of the music that we do so um we at the moment are working on a piece to groovy by barker who is an incredible oh watch this space man she's just so insanely like there's so much wisdom and trauma and joy and history and culture that just comes out of her performances but um she first nations she's yeah yeah she's first nations Mm. so um one of the things that I've said to the girls is when we we've started choreographing, but you know, Barker did a podcast and her mother is stolen generations. So I asked my dancers to actually listen to those things so that they understand the stories behind the music that we create to not just, you know, as dancers, we're all guilty of it. We just get moved by a beat. Like, I don't really know what they're saying, but I'm just going to move. <laughs> this makes me want to move. So we always try to go that extra step to engage with the lyrics and to understand from not just that artist's point of view, but also on a wider um, cultural context, what that piece means and, and make sure we're doing justice to it um, mm. with what we're lending to it through mm. dance. And, um, you know, I guess related to kind of education, but what's your stance on social media in general, like from a personal point of view, as well as like from a Bindi boss's point of view? I'll tell you my stance. So I like at social media as a tool. It's like a car. It can be used for good or bad. Um, uh-huh. It's really kind of up to the user. And yeah, there's yeah, I would say it's really up to the user. Um, so I think of it as a tool. Do you agree or not agree? Or like, yeah, just what's your stance on that? Sham, you can go first. <laughs> Social media oh, did, I, did, I, did I hit a hot button or a hot topic between you guys? <laughs> you will notice that I no longer have a personal Instagram account, okay. which so originally um i use social media to find my voice as a brown woman who didn't have brown women growing up um and to connect with other brown women from around the world so a big part of that process for me so this is going back maybe three years was to sort of you know publicly talk about what i'd been through in my experience and i needed to do that at that time um but then for me, it got to a point, I think the more you put yourself out there and unfortunately it can happen, you know, within any community and you get some level of um, recognition or public acknowledgement, there can be what we call in Australia tall poppy syndrome, um, can open you up for criticism or people going, oh, but you haven't done this and you haven't done that. And I think for us, I always bring it back to talk from a place of your own lived experience. Mm and don't reach too far beyond that um so whatever causes you engage with support it from a place of you know you having done your own work and not expecting others to have done that or telling other people what to do i think social media it can be a very powerful tool for 
connecting. I think it can also be an extremely damaging tool for self-esteem mm. and and a, and a huge factor in lateral violence because you're not actually having to have a face-to-face interaction with someone. You're just firing words across at them and making judgments based on what is essentially a curated um, version of a person's yeah. life. We only post what we're comfortable posting, right? Um, so yeah, for me, for that reason, I've actually, one of my team, I handed over the management of Bimbi Boss's social media to our youngest team member, Divya. Um, I've personally needed to take a break from it just because I didn't like what it was doing to my mental health. And as an artist as well, it really takes you away from your practice and your center. So for me, it's important to stay grounded. Um, but it's a great place to showcase, I guess, you know, the work that you're doing and to, get a sense of things and to connect with your community um on a on a global scale yeah i mean that was that was definitely what i liked i love social media i absolutely adore it um (laughs) (laughs) i get to people i mean we would have never found out about navs 47 or well i wouldn't have found raghavi i i found her through yeah Yeah, i was gonna gonna ask you guys that too how did you guys meet but we'll we'll talk about instagram i was trying to figure her out i'm like who is this curly haired kind of South Asian, but I'm not sure looking <laughs> little pocket rocket who yeah. can do dance hall and Afro. And every now and then I see her in a pic with a bindi. I don't understand her. What is, what's the deal? <laughs> That's what I love about the social media asset. Cause I had no one like that growing up. I, I was a very confused child. I was like, okay, there's, there's all these, you know, white faces on, on TV, but no one really in the media that looked like me. So I always wanted the straight hair, the quiff i wanted to be tall oh my god we have to show you photos of raghavi no. from school yes no. please <laughs> so embarrassing please don't go back there. if you compare this like gorgeous thing you're seeing now it's like but and i say it i did the same thing i've still got burn marks from where i used to like iron my hair straight uh-huh. yeah well yeah i mean i i just didn't have anyone that looked like me so you try I... you try to mimic what you see around you exactly. to try and fit in yeah. and now i get to pick and choose who i want to follow on social media yeah and it's my own version of tv i don't even watch tv anymore mm. i don't watch youtube i just netflix and um instagram i netflix yeah netflix is <laughs> now <laughs> but addictive i i completely understand like i work with young people all the time and they they look at it and they i mean the filters nowadays are crazy as well oh let's not get into that's a whole thing (laughs) i find the filters quite problematic i feel like that yeah yeah and look one of the reasons like when we when we do post anything on bindi bosses is very inclusive we want people to feel like they're part of the team and want to be part of the team in a way Mm. um you know coming to workshops that's that's how we not promote that's not what we're really doing we're just showing hey this is what you can be doing out in the world as a South Asian and I think it's an access point for people like Mm. we're very you know we're pretty responsive on the socials um I'm generally the one um that replies to anybody who slads into the dms (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I think that's pretty cool I I, I find Facebook a bit weird I just feel fine Facebook's a bit weird now and overwhelming don't quite understand and I think people go to Facebook just to kind of, I go there just to read articles. It's pretty much yeah. like a curated newsfeed. Um, yeah. One thing I would add about social media based on your comments, Shamala, is, and I was thinking about it before was, I guess for me, it's easy to say it's just a tool because I'm like an older person that's kind of mature and I have experiences under me. But yeah. I feel like it's like kind of like financial literacy. I feel like there should be some kind of 
um, course or like, you know, training for young people, like really young people, like, you know, kids yes. around how to use social media responsibly. Like you said, you know, there's people that are kind of getting surgeries to look like their filtered version on social media, which is crazy. So yeah, I agree with you. Talking about this, how yeah. young people have to be not taught, but just, yeah, just taught how to, when to, and I do study skill sessions with students and their biggest procrastination point is Instagram. They get on there for two hours, they're on there, four hours. It's so easy to do though. It is really easy. And I'm like, look, three years ago, five years ago, wasn't an issue, but nowadays it is a huge issue mm. and it's so new. So people don't know how to deal with it. People think it's normal um, and it's so not. It's 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 really, really and hard. and I've noticed I feel like people's in person skills are suffering as a mm. result of social media. Like they're really good at firing off words um, and you know doing a cool looking sort of layout story. And but then yeah, but there's been a lot of people I've met that I've sort of connected with on social media. But they've and, and I've been surprised in person. Um, and a lot of the time, it's very quiet personalities that can come across in a very big way on social media. Um, so I think there just needs to be a balance because for me, I'm pers I'm all about in-person energy and connection. Mm -hmm. um, like Raghavi, you know, both of our work involves working with kids, doing hands-on workshop experiences, going out, you know, and around to different regional areas and around Australia. So for me, yeah, socials, tool definitely um but you know a tool that has to be very carefully managed and i think the best way to manage it on a personal level is to just keep checking in with yourself about how it's making you feel, feel. yeah right who you're following what you're doing what you're watching what you're taking in yeah, yeah. and 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 how is that being how is that being a benefit to mm. you if you know if if Education's always great, but at, at some point, it's good to actually have a real life conversation with someone about well, the. <laughs> yeah. Well, also like the as you're talking, one of the negative impacts I would say of social media, and this is just anecdotal evidence, is yeah. people that, like you said, do well social media, it impacts not even friendships, but like I've seen people that like I've had friends that have gone on dates, and like it's like they have strong like social media like through messaging apps really good conversations but then when you meet there's like yeah there's no, there's, there's no ability to kind of connect or have like a conversation it's super awkward so i can mm. see that as well yeah, yeah. um i guess it's, it's hard right in this covid world that we're living in now yeah. it, it's it's hard to meet up and do things in person so yeah um one of the things i'm like i one of the things I always like to, I'm very curious about is people's future intentions. So it, it feels like an, like a job interview question, but I'll ask it, you know, <laughs> what's like, a, you know, uh, something that you like to do or like, where do you guys see yourself maybe individually and collectively as Bindi bosses in the next three to five years? Um, look, I, someone recently asked me this question and I said that I hated answering this question. I'm amazing when it comes to day to day, week to week, <laughs> month to month. As soon as you say years, I'm like, I have no effing clue. I don't want to think about it. As long as I am on, you know, I, I've always got an intention. So my intention is to make a difference to young people um, somehow, some way. And as long as I'm doing something around that, I am so happy. I am not someone who wants a big house. Of course, like that would be nice, but that's not the intention that I want in my life, you know? Mm. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it, it, every year is always different. If I, I feel like I also don't want to set myself up for this thing that I may not want in six months. I change up my clothes every year, you know, like <laughs> I, I get sick of things every year. So I just don't trust my, myself yeah. to, to want something for three to five years, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm like rugby. I mean, I've been a self-employed um creative mostly working with dance for about seven to eight years now and one thing i've learned and my partner's a musician um that's been his job his entire life he's a kick-ass shout out to jonathan hi jp we love you he's so many bosses he's like our security guard for gigs and stuff too and like yeah he's just the best but he helped me to really understand um the need to be present and to not attach. And it doesn't mean you can't plan, but just being careful of that word want, you know, mm. as well. Because I like what you said, Raghavi, because I feel the same. I feel like my goals are very based on purpose, not on yeah. external things. So for me, I want to feel like I'm creating space that maybe I didn't have when I was growing up. I want to feel um, appreciated. We all do. And I want to feel heard and seen by my peers that matter to me. And I want to feel like I'm connecting and coming across and maybe, you know, that the, the final thing is, I guess, inspiring people. But um, I think one of the things that always stuck with me is um, some mates with um Hoss from De La Soul and I remember when I first met him I asked him about his process and you know just their music has had such a huge impact and he said we were never trying to make an impact we were just trying to express ourselves and I think that always stuck with me because if you really just always do you and you know who you are and what drives you and you make that your goal um, then you're never really going to fail. And then if COVID hits or all these other crazy things happen, you can still find ways to live out your purpose. So um, in terms of Binley Boss's tangible things, I guess um, we're really trying to collaborate with other South Asian artists. We want to do things in different ways. We're really keen to like do make our show more of a live set, um, incorporating different elements, putting together a stage show um is something that we're very excited to do cool. touring is something yeah. we'd, we'd love to do um if not globally then at least around australia um actually ideally australia just to understand the land that we're all living on a little bit more oh, come to toronto oh uh, we're there we are dying <laughs> to get to get there that would be amazing and especially just because um yeah, just it just seems like you've got really strong pockets of culture in Toronto yeah. as yeah. well. Um, you, you have do you have quite a big like a Jamaican quite a big Jamaican Huge. community? Yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah, yeah. I would love yeah. that. Yeah, so oh our dancehall girls are just go nuts. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to. I had a question as you guys were talking about the um, touring, but I'll get back to it. Um. I'll go into like a, a different side. So what's an insecurity that you guys both have individually? Um, I guess, you know, and this was something that sort of came up through social media is I think there's a lot of pressure now to be woke and um, people in the process of doing that can get quite judgmental of other people. And I think for a long time, 
like I was being quite vocal about my views and then, you know, that always opens you up to criticism. So I had to sort of step back and go, you know, how much should I actually be telling other people what to do and how to feel and what is right and wrong? And how much do I actually need to figure that out for myself and just live that truth through my actions? So I, in terms of insecurity, yeah, I guess you never want to be sort of misunderstood for your intentions and and just being open to the fact that we're always learning and we're always decolonizing and that mm. process happens at different times for different people i'm um i'm 37 how are you now 28 28 yeah. so bindi boss is amazing so we've got mm. like so between ragu and i they're like 10 years between us yeah oh my are. god but then we've got like, a, you know, women in their early 20s as well. Yeah. There's that intergenerational sort of exchange that's happening there. So we really try to check in with each other, I think, around yeah expectations around social media and just managing that mm. and going, hey, girls, I know that, you know, um, you know, followers don't equal like status and mm. follow followers don't mean shit. They really don't. I mean, it's cool and it's exciting, but, you know, social media is it's all it's kind Kind of like this game. It's just yeah. this game where if you're sick of playing it, you can literally delete the app and it's over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a Black Mirror episode like that. Totally. Oh, there would be. for sure. Definitely. I'm sure there is. Yeah. I was going to say, you don't look like an, you don't look a day over 25. I'm 37 as well. And I'll say we both don't look over. I'm older. I'm like, I don't think you know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's important just because you get older, you don't get less insecure. You just get um, more sure of your boundaries and your lines and, and who to allow yourself to be vulnerable around. So I think mm -hmm. I have a problem where I'm a very open book and I can tend to just be be me around everyone, which sounds lovely. But the flip side of that is when people aren't the same or they, you know, are coming at you with a different intention or a different agenda, they can misunderstand you and that can really hit hard and, and hurt. And, you know, I've experienced that in the last year. So I've just learned um, to manage my world and to just be very careful with my energy into who I invest that in and where I draw those boundaries and lines. And I think the more you do that, the less insecurity seeps in because you're just sort of I guess taking control of your own life and your own headspace as much as you can mm. for me I I mean I when I was growing up I was a insecure little girl I was total opposite of what I am right now mm. um you know beat down for like 20 years heavily bullied um so when I came out of school I was yeah like a little mouse people don't actually remember me from school I was a high school high school friends in quotation marks and I'm like yeah you do you remember me and they're, they're like oh not really uh, but do you hold up the picture of you with the straightened hair shut up and go <laughs> <laughs> I want to use that photo for marketing purposes so no, 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 no. Right, it was like a bun with braces glasses Long skirt. Were they contact? Were they colored contact lenses? I had blue well? co colored contacts because I thought that would be cool with my braces and glasses as well. Wow! It was a whole look. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think my insecurity uh, it probably is falling back into always feeling small because mm -hmm. for me, dancing was the one thing that when I got out of school and I started doing hip hop dance hall Afro, I was like damn, I'm really owning myself. I'm really owning mm. my body. Mm. Not letting anyone else tell me how I should feel. 
Um, and I did like, I've done so much personal development, so I'm really introspective as well. Um, but yeah, my insecurity is probably falling back into feeling like I'm nothing. Hmm. And that's how I really felt when I was younger. You're um, not nothing. You're everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Actually, I, yeah, I mean, it's so funny that I didn't answer this way. And the reason I didn't answer what I'm about to say now is because of bindi bosses. So for me, it's been feeling like a cultural fraud because I, I carry the appearance so obviously of being South Asian and specifically people can just pick me as Tamil straight away. But because I don't have language, I've always felt like a coconut. So culture in itself and my connection with it and my expression of it and the way I, you know, try and speak certain words, that, that's a huge place of insecurity for me. And I, the fact that I didn't even think to answer that is because I've got these like this group of like seven other fucking amazing women who, you know, Gujarati, Malaysian, um, Sri Lankan, you know, Sinhalese, like all different walks of life, all different South Asian backgrounds. And we all just support each other. Like, I love that in Bindi Boss's rehearsal, there'll be like Hindi words thrown around now. And I feel like I have a safe space to actually be South Asian. Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, I think that's a big thing as well. Like just culturally um, feeling insecure. Mm -hmm. What do you guys like to do for fun outside of work per se? Have you seen what we do? What we <laughs> do <is> like fun. <laughs> um, this is like the hardest question. When we saw this, I'm like, I don't know how to answer this. I have, like, I have Literally not. I think there was one year where I worked an office job and I absolutely hated it. But everything else that I do is not work for me. It's fun. Like yeah. I would, I I work then seven days a week. I don't really stop. Um, yeah, but, exactly. And I'm not mad at that either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't. You, we don't drain ourselves. Either. No. We, well, yeah. we do. We get to a point uh, where, where I'm like, I haven't slept for like six <laughs> days, and then I was like, when was the last time I had a day off? Oh yeah, that was like a month and a half ago. I should probably stop. Yeah. Um. But together as busy buses, we love food. I mean, we're dancers. Yeah, we're dancers. So we <laughs> we get hungry really quickly. We'll go out. <laughs> We'll have some something South Asian, whatever it is. We just absolutely love food. That's that's our food is fun. Yeah, <laughs> food equals fun. That is universal, right? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just thinking, what else? I mean, I binge. I mean, Netflix for me, like certain programs, and yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound very exciting because we get so much out of our. Like for me, Bindi Bosses is actually my socializing as well. I live in a regional area kind of in the bush. So whenever we do gigs, I get that fix of like connecting with people, feeling commun communal energy. Um, and, you know, that's the funnest thing. And I think what Raghavi said is really important because I, I don't know about, I'm pretty sure it's the same. I don't have a concept of retirement. Mm. So, and that's very different to our, you know, our parents as well. So I plan to, in some way, shape, or form, keep creating, keep being involved in dance till the, you know, as, as long as I can. So I guess, yeah, what we do for fun is live our best life through our career. <laughs> I, I think with retirement too, I think my definition is similar to yours in the sense that it's not like the German constructed like, work, like definition of retirement, which is like you stop literally working at 65. It's like, yeah. I think the new age, and I think more and more people are adopting this, is retirement is essentially doing what you want when you want. So it's like yes. you could technically still be working, like working, but really mm -hmm. you're doing what you love. So you don't 
feel like you're working. So I feel like for me, I want to like retire when I'm 40 or 45, but it's not to do nothing. I want to, there's other mm. stuff I want to do that I, like I enjoy what I do now, but there's other things. I think life's about cycles, right? Like there's some things you want to do for a bit and then there's other things you want to try. So yeah. That's kind of, yeah. I can't do the three to five year plan. Constant <laughs> cycle every six months. <laughs> In terms of binley bosses, and this is like we we have re- we rehearse every Monday night, you know, no matter what, whether we've got a gig or not. The last Monday rehearsal we had, and like you know, COVID has massively impacted our families. We have our youngest team member lost her grandmother and her uncle within like two weeks, both yeah. on her mother's side. So her mm. poor mother has lost her mother and her brother, you know, and um, all of us have been affected or know someone who's been affected in some way. So. On Monday, we just got together. It was the first time we didn't have to. We, we had a really busy April with gigs and it was the first rehearsal that we had in a long time where it was just for us and we just created. And, mm. oh, my gosh, that was so much fun. We mm. were just, like, screaming and yelling and going, oh, my gosh, that's such a great idea. Yes, let's do this. Let's do this. And, you know, it's self-generated. No one's telling us to put out a concept video or to do this. Like that's all coming from us wanting to create and and to connect with each other. Mm. And, and, and that's why I love that I'm not the choreographer anymore. Like initially I choreographed a few of the first pieces that we did, but it was always my vision in my vision to open it up and make it an entirely collaborative process mm. so that you didn't know who did what and that it was genuinely a, you know, a team effort mm. and, all the stuff of ours that has popped off, it's been that stuff that, you know, because you, you can feel it. There's something different when you you can feel you've got a different connection to it as well when you're performing it, when you know that you've had a stake in it. You're not just doing dances that someone else has put on your body. You've been a part of that process. So mm-hmm. for us, I think that's the most fun thing in the world is to look at all our dance languages and figure out where they intersect and who we can highlight at different moments and how we can support them at different moments. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's all fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's super. Yeah. Um, from like a learning perspective, is there like a book or podcast um, that you guys have either read or listened to in the last, I would say, year or two that's had an impact on you? Um, I'm constantly listening to so many different things and it's a lot of the times it's personal development stuff. So I listen to a lot of Tom Bilyeu, Lisa Bilyeu, Jay Shetty, love them. Um, but yeah, I, I find it really hard to sit down and read a book, but for some reason, whenever I sit down and read a book, I keep going back to Anne Frank for some reason. Mm. That's weird that you say that. I was really moved by that in school too. Yeah. I've read it probably four times in my life. I love it so much. That's so weird that you so say that. What, yeah. what, what about Anne Frank specifically got you to read the book four times? I I don't know. I think because like maybe she just, I, maybe I, I, I um, you know, connected with her in, in feeling trapped. Obviously mm. she was in a completely different period and she was going through so much more horrific, uh, more of a horrific situation than I was. But I, I loved her story. Um, and look, Damn, she didn't have a great ending, um, but I feel like okay, I'm maybe it is this. I'm just coming out with this on the spot as well. Maybe I'm feeling like I'm actually living out what could have been out of coming out of that situation because I really, really did feel trapped. I yeah, felt like yeah. as soon as I finished school, what am I going to do with my life? I was definitely not you know smart enough, I guess, to be a doctor, engineer, da da da, and I felt like I was just going to go downhill. 
until, you know, I, I discovered personal development and a different mindset and a different way of thinking. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm constantly listening to the podcast. I mean, I just literally finished Oprah Winifrey's, oh, I forgot what it was. It's, it's one of her books that I audio uh, booked. Um, mm. But, yeah, that's, that's what I'm constantly listening to. Wow, that's cool. You just reminded me, when I was in school, I was, like, really into Sylvia Plath. She's so, like, <laughs> as a poet. Did you have to study yeah, her? Yeah, we it did. It was so dark. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know why you just remind that. Um, <laughs> for me, um, recently, Untamed, like Glennon Doyle, I'm really interested in queer writers. I find they come from a much more intersectional perspective that I can learn from as well. Um, White Feminism by Koa Beck is something that I've been really um you know, I guess trying to wrap my head around and understand how, you know, what we understand as feminism is actually not serving women of color and how it needs to be sort of um, re, re, reimagined. Um, on a fun note, I love, I used to love listening to Infinite Monkey Cage podcast, which is a science. Really? Based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian, how have I forgotten his name? Brian, the one that looks, yeah. Brian, what's his name? His name's Brian something. I've forgotten it. <laughs> I'm the same as Ragavi, so I don't like to physically read, I, um, which is ironic because I write and I edit things, but maybe that's why. Um, but I audiobook all the time, especially because I always tour it a lot. So for me, yeah, Infinite Monkey Cage. And I have been like getting through Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, all mm. four books. And I'm just absolutely, like, I just love it. I love sci-fi i love like the magician series by lev grossman i love being like whisked into another world entirely that's like full of magic and that's so shamala yeah <laughs> stop i like going other places in my mind yeah um, but yeah that's me i feel like the stuff i read is so boring compared to what you guys or not read but listen to uh i read like a lot of biographies like i love reading about anything that's like a story about somebody that has a hard knock life that has like made it in some way so oh, yeah. that's not, but i feel like the stuff you guys just talked about is like way more i guess i'm not into like fiction at all uh except for harry potter i mean who doesn't but like i'm into like that's like the only fiction i've ever written uh if you like harry potter you've got to check out the magicians by lev grossman it okay. is amazing it is so cool it's like okay. harry but not for kids mm. harry it's potter really the last three harry potter books were not for kids i'll say that um, yeah. but uh, uh another question i want to kind of get into was personal legacy so if you guys individually were to kind of ask you know friends and family of like your ideal way of being described or being remembered what would that be I've, I I feel like I've already said this and I'm it's just it's just my motto um, how I really do want to make a difference to young people in and teens so as long as I've done that and I've had a butterfly effect somehow and someone's gone out and done something amazing and I've inspired them to do that I'm mm. so I, I would be so grateful yeah and yeah for me it's, it's pretty similar. Like I want to continue creating safe spaces for people through dance. And when I say people, um, you know, I teach trans young, very young trans students, non-binary, queer, you know, 
people of color and, and I really want to understand how to be more intersectional in my approach to that so that I can be more aware of how to be ex, ex, more accessible and inclusive to people with different abilities. So I'd, I'd love to be known as someone who was able to successfully create genuinely intersectionally inclusive spaces where people mm. could feel free to navigate, investigate, explore and express themselves. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I'd love to be known as someone who is generous in in um, in terms of sharing opportunities with the people around me, um, and supportive, and and yeah, definitely creating those safe spaces for other, especially brown women that I didn't have growing up. Um, yeah, if 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 someone said I did that, I'd feel pretty good about that. Yeah, and hmm. for me, I was that I'm a happy person. If if people remember me as a happy person great amazing that's true actually like just on an interactional level i yeah. want like i want people to feel energized by an interaction yeah not not drained you yeah. know you can feel it and i and i think that's what's common with all of us at binley bosses like i was just thinking that actually the, <laughs> the, the thing is i can't actually sleep after our rehearsals so they know because they'll get messages from me up to like 3 a.m <laughs> she'll be up at 3 a.m messaging not us. everyone just who i know is still awake <laughs> because i get so jacked up on the energy of it and it doesn't matter what we've done my brain just goes into overdrive and i can't focus on anything else and so that's something i actually need to manage which is why i you know now but to be honest have to a, have... a lot of us are like are you that. like that as well? yeah 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 no i think it's just a general dances thing so like you feel like you've just done two and a half hours three hours of rehearsal you would think that would go home and be and so be tired, tired. But we're so like energized. I'm like, damn, that was such a good rehearsal. That's true. And 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 when I was growing up, I used to like train because I've been dancing since I was four, going to like weekly dance classes. And I would like do back to back, maybe three hours of like tap of um, what else? Contemporary of like JFH as it was called at the time. And and this is physical sweaty dancing. I mean, Bindi Boss is a lot of time we're having discussions, and it's not always hardcore. So you think you'd be physically spent. I'd go home, cane a one litre bottle of water and go up to my room and just keep dancing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no... And dance is amazing. It's like, it's an obsession. Yeah. You, you like... More people yeah. should do it. It's so good. Yes. Please I'll dance. Add, I'll add two things dance? there. No, I was going to just say, one of my insecurities, not insecurities, but like one of the things I wish I could do was dance and sing because I'm not creative at all. So to add to the list, the other thing that we are so passionate about is creating a space for people like you who feel like, oh, I can't dance. It's like everyone can oh, dance. I'm, I'm stiff, okay, but I'm pretty sure, but I'm sure I could learn, but I wish you I could dance. Yeah. And so much of that like transcends the physical. It's actually about be, having someone be able to guide you and to go into yourself and your deeper self and then come from that place and, and let your body be the tool, you Did know? Did you guys grow up with um, a lot of American movies? Like there, I felt like there was like this stage in my like upbringing or like teenage years where there was a lot of like dance related movies like Step Up or like Save the Last Dance. Uh, yeah. 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 So I felt like I watched, I grew up with that and I was like, I can't do any of that. I felt like useless. But anyways, those are, that's one of my insecurities. I was trying to mim mimic Prabhu Deva and <laughs> completely failing. <laughs> was my inspiration growing up so you know yeah. like my and again my biggest inspiration like music wise dance wise has been like the likes of like janet jackson but mm. especially missy elliott elliott yeah. she's not known 
for being a dancer. But, oh my gosh, I was just so moved every time I'd see her, like, busting out in her own videos. Because dance is a groove. Like, it's a yeah. feeling. It's self-expression. It's, it's a self-expression. Mm. It's not moves. Like, you can see, and I see it all the time when I teach kids. They just, when, when your wildness comes out, that's what dance is. When you allow your wildest self to manifest, it doesn't matter what that looks like. Like, that energy that you generate in doing that is what is the joy of dance that then makes everybody around you want to find that within themselves as mm. well. I think you made a comment earlier about one of like for both of you like you either want people to feel happy or energized if they interact with you you guys both definitely have very high energy even though like we're we're digitally communicating right now very yeah. high energy I, so yeah we use our hands a lot so yeah wish... and we both got big eyes yeah because <laughs> i would because i would say i'm very i wouldn't say low energy but i'm like very even keeled like most of the time like something crazy could be happening around me i'm still like even keeled versus i feel like oh you guys are, uh, we need people like you to balance up <laughs> you see my partner he is literally in every way the opposite of me he's like really you know he's big and he's solid and he's quiet and he doesn't talk much and he's very measured and he's calm and he never sinks too low or flies too high like uh, we same we same. need we need people like that to like yeah pull us back down to earth every now and then i think i think you need both kinds of groups in or both kinds of people in any group or like relationship i think it if you had two of the same people i think it would kind of get boring so. that's point we do have that balance yeah. within the group. we've got some yeah some of us are a bit more grounded but everyone has this fire in them that mm. comes out that's that's way. the common thing and that's just not everybody every single human has that fire in them and dance is for me i think even more the music, like um, both of us grew up playing music. Like I used to sing and play guitar and play drums, but there's something about dance, which is just, it's got this wider parameter for you to just kind of unleash your mm. inner wildness. That's yeah. amazing. That's a good segue to the last question, which is what's an, a piece of advice that you guys would give to your fellow aspiring Tamil creators out there? That's a big one. For me, I would say, um, Probably what I told my, I had to tell myself, which was, don't be ashamed. Go out there, learn your heritage, learn your traditions, learn your culture. Interpret it in your own way. That's completely fine. Question it. Mm. That's what. That's probably one of the things that steered me away from learning about my culture. That I was like, well, none of this makes sense. I don't care for it. Um, and I, yeah, I distanced myself from it for a really long time because I just didn't want, no one wants to really be told what to do. Mm. Right. So when I got to go back and research and do my own study and, you know, ask more questions, um, it was, yeah, it came from a different light and I'm super appreciative of my parents mm. for allowing me, well, you know, yeah, for, for not allowing, basically forcing me <laughs> as a child to like really know where my roots are from mm. um and now it's it's a better conversation with them when i get to sit down and go okay well what does this mean what do you know about it and sometimes they're even learning from me yeah you know? definitely that's, that's that's my connection with them which is it's yeah it's great it's amazing it's authentic mm. um for me <laughs> i think i i would would want to say to people own your heritage and your relationship to it whatever that is and however tenuous you may feel that is mm -hmm. um one thing with binley bosses is that we've been increasingly 
increasingly working with mixed race South Asian artists. And I really feel for them because, you know, they've got these fractured identities. Um, I guess I especially feel for them because my partner is South African. So he's no more than one eighth of anything. And I think we all need to just, um, well, first of all, consider all the levels of our privilege through an intersectional lens. So whether that's because um, of our caste, our skin, our gender, our physical ability, our ability to even speak a language. Um, because I think the more we reflect on that, the more inclusive and opening, you know, the more we open up space for the rest of the community. And that's what we need. We need to be more inclusive um, as a community. I would say limit the energy that you give to critics and, and naysayers, like mm. know where to draw those boundaries. Um, and I saw something, I actually sent it to the girls recently of Missy Elliott. And she was saying, when I think of how many people thought I was crazy back then and what I went through to break that wall down. And I look at my videos now um, and how they've changed the game and allowed people now to be different in this era. If I'd listened to those people, I, no one would have ever seen those masterpieces. Yeah. So don't be don't be ashamed to feel like you need to mute people. You know, pull back your energy from you know the people that maybe aren't helping you achieve what you think you want to achieve. Um, but it doesn't mean don't listen. Like listen, but just yeah, know where you where to draw those boundaries. And like I'd say this to every creator, like just dance <laughs> like don't dance to perform but dance is like such a visceral way to connect with your cultural practice and to heal and to express and to maintain and strengthen your connection and for those people who have language as someone who doesn't maintain and strengthen your connection with it language is everything mm. you know Raghavi and I have that conversation all the time I kind of look at her with, with envy as she you know rattles off some little Tamil phrases here and there and cor corrects my pronunciation. I'm like, oh, if only I could. So, like, be proud, be proud of that. There's something about being or um, speaking a language that no one else understands around you. So, like, when we when I went with my wife and, like, some friends, we went to, like, different places. And we've if we want to, like, say something so nobody else understood, it was cool to kind of speak Tamil and like nobody could like except for like the four of us nobody can kind of understand what we're saying like if we're trying to like negotiate or like figure out if this person was shady like it was really <laughs> it's like it was really cool so i definitely agree with that i want to ask you guys a random question as you guys are talking about connection with heritage i'm very proud of like my heritage now but i wasn't always that way because i remember when i was younger i would get food like my parents like my mom would make something that was like tamil and I was always kind of ashamed to kind of eat it in front of other people, even though now it's like, I don't care. Like my, this was amazing. I'll eat it anywhere. But I always remembered. And then when I look back, I feel ashamed of that, where I was ashamed to like eat my food at school. Like I wouldn't eat like my lunch. I would wait till after school or something, eat it before I no, went home. Shame. It wasn't your fault. I know. Like, I know. <laughs> I remember, you know, you're yeah. in made that response happen that resonates with me entirely I, I went to school with roti parcels and you know fingers stained with turmeric and you know the kids would be like that's disgusting and next thing I know I'm like I want a Devon and tomato sauce sandwich do you know what Devon is <laughs> no I don't no one does <laughs> Devon Devon is like you don't even know what it mostly is. It's like bits of pork and beef. Oh, and it's like spam. They call that spam in the US. Yeah. It's, it's like spam. Oh, like okay. I, I, 
and that, exactly I exactly did that so um yeah don't be ashamed of your shame <laughs> like under, understand d- instead of being ashamed of your previous shame understand why you were made to feel that way and zoom out and go what was happening mm. and you know spend some time trying to sort of understand that because then you'll go oh wow like it helps you to just go okay that actually wasn't my fault anybody put in that situation would have had that response and then it helps you to be more compassionate for people who may not be on the same part of you know mm. the journey or even on the same path that you are and going well that's where they're at I don't know what their life experiences have been that have led them to maybe not want to resonate with this or that um and just yeah don't judge them it's really funny because like with food i feel like you talk about colonization i feel like with food as gentrification kind of happened in the city and like you know white people are moving into areas that used to be you know a lot of people of color it's funny because like i like the same thing i used to eat as a kid that i was ashamed of it's like you have you have people like of you know, I want to say white people, but like people from all over the world kind of like eating it like proudly, like it's like this like experience for them, like this amazing yeah. authentic experience. So it's kind of like a, a, a unique 180, but yeah. It is. It's yeah. an interesting one though, isn't it? Because it's like, hmm, well, you get to be proud and have this cultural experience of something that I was made to feel ashamed of. Yeah. So you've yeah. got to kind yeah, find that place within yourself where you bury that, not bury, but you like sort of deal with that. Yeah. It's, there's a bitterness. I, I feel the same. I'm like, oh, what? So now my culture is cool when it serves yeah. you. Mm. But when I was growing up, yeah, totally. I think, look, Australia, Australia is, um, it's, 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 it's a very problematic country in terms of race and race relations. So every single person of color would have experienced a form of racism at some point in their life, whether mm. or not they were conscious of it. So it's just about how to um, find peace within yourself, I think, so that you understand why that is. Yeah, and I think um, think about racism as well. Is I always make it like I generally when I speak about it, it's like a like a white person thing, like white people have done to people of color, but people of color do it to each other as oh, well. So yeah, is the worst. Yeah, yeah and the. Uh, I keep going back to the judgment like I really want to because I, f- I grew up feeling very judged by all my South Asian peers so I grew up without them then when I went to uni I remember there's this group of Fiji Indians and I you know I'm Fiji Indian and I walk past them I can't speak the language they saw me with a group of white people and made an assumption about me mm. yet I just felt like oh my gosh I would love to be standing there with you and chattering away in Fiji Hindi but I can't mm. um, so it's really important we are all products of colonization we've all migrated in different waves and that impact has been different for each generation so you don't get to you really shouldn't get to like judge someone else on where they are in that journey mm. or yeah that's that's something that I just I know I've said this a million times but I just think it's really important that's been a real key learning for me as well okay well that's a good way to segue into the fun part of the discussion so it's a game that I like to call creator confession so basically I'm going to ask you guys a, a bunch of like hot fire or like um it's a quick round or a speed round sorry and you're going to yeah. kind of say this the, like the first thing that kind of comes to mind. So um, the first one is favorite Tamil food. Oh, I can say Faluda. Is that Faluda. Tamil? I don't know if, th- if that's Tamil. You're asking nope. the wrong person. I don't know. I don't think so. It isn't. I don't think so. But yeah, that's like, it's like Persian. No. It's like um, it's, Sri- it's because of Sri Lanka. But yeah, no, no, yeah. no, no. That's from um, that's... I'm claiming it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
For me, I don't know if Pauli is Tamil. Do you know Pauli? It's this. Bo- we say. I think. Is it South Indian Well, my mum says Bali. It's the yeah, rod it's with the, the filling. It's yellow and it's... Oh, yeah. uh, are you talking about hoppers? Not hoppers. No, no. Sorry, uh, not hoppers. It's like... It it's, like it's like a, a roti. roti. I, know, and... I know. There's something in the middle. I'm just trying to think of what it's called. Yeah, heaven in the middle is what's in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> All the Tamil people are cringing at us right now. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying because I like that, but I don't like... It's Bali, how I'm, how my mom says it. How your mom says yeah. it. Yeah. Well, go with your answer, because. Botu. Really? Yeah, my mom botu. says botu in um Telugu. They say oh. botu apparently. Yeah, we yeah. say botu. Yeah. So maybe that's why. Maybe Telugu is more p. Well, yeah, I don't yeah. really know. I like masala dosa. Mm, okay. Yeah. I like roti. Yeah. Next question is something that scares you. Oh. oh, mine's. Oh, you're gonna make me get all serious. Um, lose the thought of losing someone close to me. That's the biggest thing for me, and I actually think about it often. Um, because I try to make sure that in every interaction each day, I'm not leaving weird energy or unresolved stuff with people that matter. Mm. Um, I just try to remember <laughs> that, and yeah, I think I think that's important. I was in a quite serious. I wasn't injured, car accident at the beginning of the year with a motorcyclist who was very horrifically mm-hmm. injured that I was first on the scene to witness. And I think that's really stuck with me in terms of being grateful. You don't even know between when you say bye to someone and they're driving somewhere else if they're going to get there. So at every moment, just, yeah, yeah, that's that's my one. I can't think of any anything. I don't have any irrational fears like butterflies or even... <laughs> Who is the, who's afraid of butterflies? I know someone who's afraid of butterflies. Um, yeah, no, I've always been someone, well, nowadays, I've always been like, if something scares me, I'm going to go for it. But I don't think about things like what you do. Wait till you're 10 years older. Okay, I'll wait then. <laughs> we do. I'm like, Ragvi, let me tell you. I feel like it's like <laughs> the future. I'm going back to my younger self. <laughs> Mistakes I made. Um. How about favorite show you're watching? Oh, okay. I was just saying, I have like gone back to Seinfeld and yes. I am a greatest that- show. One of the greatest shows ever. Yeah. But do you know why? And this will resonate with you. Watch it now because like I always loved it growing up. Obviously, we grew up, we were very young watching it. But oh, no, now- I, still, I still watch it readily. If I see it on TV, I'll watch it. Yeah. But now it's like it's just hitting differently now. Yeah. And I figured out why it is. It's because they're my age now. Yes. I'm now the age of those characters, and I'm they're, like, it's like, they're they're yeah. our, our age, our age. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I'm their age. They're just immortalized. Yeah. Um, and you were saying it's timeless as well. It's so timeless, yeah. like just yes. that. You can watch. You can watch any episode and like still be entertained. Like it's it's, but it's hit or miss though. Like people either love it or hate it. That's what I'm. True. Thinking. Yeah, it's like coriander. People either like are obsessed with it or cannot have a bar of it. Yeah. But I think what I love about it too, watching it now with everything <laughs> is just the, the role of Elaine. Cause that uh, even like, is the one that sort of is the, the connector. They're terrified of her. Like she runs them yes. and it's great. It's, like, it's, it's a bit of a matriarchy, I think. Cause without her, it all just like falls out of whack. And... <laughs> I love Kramer, but yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I, 
I'm actually going back to a lot of shows right now because I missed a lot of good TV and good movies when I was younger. Um, I mean, I didn't watch The Matrix until literally the beginning of the year. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm really behind. So I'm going back and watching shows. Right now I'm watching Power and New Girl. Do you guys know Yes, New Girl, yep. Jess is funny. I I watched like a couple of seasons of it. She's very – it was entertaining, yeah. I loved her. It's so quick. I yes. feel like I would be a brown version of her in a way, uh, but she's so much more cuter and, yeah. It's funny that you said that. I think everything that's happened since Black Lives Matter, I've become increasingly sensitive to when there's not diversity in what I'm, in what I'm watching. So when I've, I've actually been doing the same thing. I've been revisiting what I grew up on and going, no wonder I, f- I felt the way I did. There's, like, no yeah. representation within these mm-hmm. things. Like, I was watching, what was I watching? Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like, Back to the Future, it's just these like tokenistic sort of you know people of color roles, mm. but um, I'm also a huge Adventure Time fan. <gasps> Adventure yes. Time, yeah. I will always go to that and be happy. You you guys uh, would probably like. Have you guys heard of Insecure? <gasps> yeah, <laughs> it's so right. It's yeah. so funny to say that. I've been yeah. going on to her about how she has to watch it. It such is such a so good, funny. such a good show, such a good show. Yeah, I've watched episodes. I just don't know where to watch it. Where is it on? I think it's on Stan or Prime. No, it's on Foxtel. It's yeah, on Foxtel. see, that's why Sorry, I don't have Foxtel. Foxtel. I've already got Netflix, Stan, Prime, mm. and I can't, I'm not going to go off. And, and on that tip as well, which I think is absolutely brilliant, is Atlanta by, by um, Donald Glover. Yeah, I was. it's on my list, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but why I like Insecure is like it's one of the few shows where it's like not like um extreme or like like traumatized version of like a person of color story it's like a normal person yeah. story like what do they do every day what's love what's relationship what's friendship and whenever she's yeah. doing the, like the mirror thing i love yes. that yeah it's so good yeah you sure, like like she's so funny i love her yeah she's amazing um, you have to, we need to find a way to get yeah you will love it <laughs> we'll say this to it for years yeah uh, what's a place you're itching to travel to after the pandemic is over? Japan for me, for sure. Ooh, I was supposed to be in Jamaica uh. during COVID. Um, so I would love to go there. Um, but I want to go to America. Have I? Whoa. Have you been? I've, I've been to Hawaii and I've been to LA. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I would really love to go back. I, look, anywhere. I love traveling. I used to travel every year before COVID, so mm, yeah. yeah. I was supposed to be in Jamaica for a month. <sighs> I really do. I know. I that really being do. said. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I was going to say, I think I think us, us people in the 30s, I think we have the same preferences because I went to Japan like three years ago. It was my favorite country in the world. Like, I wanted to go there. But you too? Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah. that was another thing. You talk about shows. All I do is watch the Japanese channel at, show, <laughs> at home. <laughs> It's amazing. It is so amazing. Yeah. Well, wait till you go to Japan. I've I been have... to Japan twice in oh, literally nice. five years. Yeah. And I, I would go back, but I always come back broke. It's <laughs> so expensive. Yes, is it? Yes. So yes, it is. But it's worth yeah. it. Like, I, like uh, where did, did you go to, like, obviously Tokyo, Kyoto? Um, uh, well, yeah, I went during the cherry blossom season. Oh, I just I missed also- it. I just missed it, yeah. And then I also, when I went back, um, no, so the first time I went, I, w- I went in winter and we snowboarded for two weeks and then just mm. traveled for another two weeks. And then uh, we were in Niseko, 
uh, Kyoto, Tokyo. Yes. Um, cherry blossom season when I went back. Where did you get to go though? Uh, we did Tokyo for like about 10 days, I like to say. I think we did Japan for 10 days in total because we did yeah. like Hong Kong and Japan, but uh, it was just like amazing. Like it's like everything kind of I envisioned Japan being. Like it's one of those places where like typically they say happiness is the difference between expectation versus reality. And I felt yeah. like it was one of the few places where my expectations were probably like met or like surpassed. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I mean, like the reverence for like nature yes. and um, like the food for me as well. It was like, amazing. Yeah. One cuisine outside of like South Asian culture that I could happily eat like most days, it would be Japanese. Yeah. Yes. Um, and just their artisanship with every aspect of what they do. Mm. I love that. I yeah. it's so yeah it's it's incredible i always tell people this story where um there's like the one thing that put me off about japan was the language barrier because mm. it was so hard to try and get around and i remember i was trying to find this alice in wonderland themed restaurant of course knowing me oh. <laughs> and i couldn't find it and i was walking around for probably about half an hour i stopped some random businessman and he was walking in one direction he took me in the other direction 15 minutes away from where he was going. Yeah. And he spent, oh, just to get you there. Just to get me there. And then he spent another 15 minutes because it was underground and we couldn't figure it out because all the buildings what? have all these like signs on them. And he took me down. He talked to them. He was like, yes, she's been looking for you for ages. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and left. And he's like, oh, I'm going home right now. So he probably took him another two hours to get home. Wow. Like you won't, that does not happen in, in Australia. Like you ask people for the directions yeah. and they go, oh yeah, mate, just go down the street, turn left, <laughs> be right. And it's like the wrong directions. They didn't even know where they're yeah. pointing you towards. Um, but yeah, I, I just, they're so polite over there. So it was, it was yes. great. And I'm upset. Like I have this vision. I need to be in an onsen. Ah. <laughs> oh amazing oh that was that was such an interesting experience so i did like an onsen i think it was like close to mount fuji it was such an interesting experience because i didn't me and my wife didn't know that it's separate like um whatever and it's also like i didn't know it was completely like nude so like <laughs> i came out and it was like me and this old japanese man he was like sitting on this rock looking at mount fuji i didn't speak japanese he didn't speak english and like i don't know he said we somehow communicated he like got off the rock let me sit on it like he told me to sit on it and we're like, oh. looking we're both looking at mount fuji together naked two strangers it was pretty interesting yeah. that is so beautiful i'm a little bit teary yeah. and i have no that just sounds <laughs> incredible wow yeah. don't worry you'll get there you'll get there you can go to japan hey, that'd be cool. we like to tour in, in tokyo and japan as well. <laughs> yeah. there to the universe <laughs> and that's actually thing like my partner has toured there so much and they have such an appreciation for other cultural arts yep. like oh like I in japan like... japan yeah. has a huge fascination with collywood um one of my friends i did not know what that. are you well, serious one of my friends made a movie called the regine effect he's like a, from the uk he's tamil and it was really kind of um a part of it was really around the like the fact that the japanese love regine they love collywood like they love yeah what? Yeah. Oh damn! We gotta get there. Okay. Yeah, so look that up. Um, you need to send us these. You've dropped a few kind of cool-sounding films. We wanna, we wanna watch them. All right. Um, well, this one my friend made, so I'll see if he like has somewhere online. I can send you that link. Yeah, um, absolutely. Who is a Tamil, like a fellow Tamil creator that you guys want to give a shout out to? 
I mean, we have to give props to Cartel Madras. And Nabs, I didn't know that she was um, Tamil Canadian. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But also Lily Singh. She's the one who started us. Yes. Yeah. So that's non- <clears throat> non-Tamil, but oh, yeah. yeah. Li- yeah. Lily Singh, um, that was our first, you know, video that we did. The She did that track that was, it, it was like a concept if, if Bollywood were rap. Mm. It actually doesn't exist online anymore because she didn't get um, clearance for the sample of Choli Kepiche. So, so this, this is another example of how great Toronto is. I actually grew up, so my brother was good friends with her good, like, best friends from, like, um, yeah. I guess elementary school. So, like, uh, I, I remember, like, I didn't really know her, know her, but it was, like, we would, like, there was a grocery store where, like, her friends used to work and she used to be there sometimes. So it's crazy, like, from knowing that person to like what she's become. Yeah, like, man. Crazy. Well, yeah. She was part of our original success. So we put this concept piece out and then Sonam Kapoor, um, yeah. you know, Bollywood, yeah. you know, um, she shouted, she was like, Lily, have you seen this? And then Lily commented and said, I can't remember what she said, dope or something. I don't remember. What and then was. the world, yeah, and then the internet broke. They're like, oh my God, she commented on it. <laughs> 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 Yeah, sure. <laughs> Our internet. <broke. laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, how about favorite childhood memory? Oh. oh my god, my mind went straight to a weird one. I have this memory <laughs> where I went on a bicycle ride with my friend in the Shire one day, and we were just going to try and go for a loaf of bread, and then no, this is this is literally the first thing I came to my mind, and. We went and we got the bread, but then we we're like, it's such a nice day. And I was on her brother's bike and it was like a really uncomfortable seat, but I was like, let's just keep going. And we just kept riding for the rest of the day, like Aww. just on and on and on. And then I remember <laughs> I said to her, I was like, you know what to make this day so beautiful? Like that sort of iconic scene in a movie where there's like a, a burst water main and then everybody goes through it. <laughs> and a corner, burst water main. Oh, <gasps> wow. That's crazy. It and it was like so beautiful and then yeah so we spent the whole day and we didn't and I think what was beautiful we didn't plan that day at all we didn't even intend to be out that long it was such an organic mm. sort of day and then when we came home I couldn't walk the next day though because of that <laughs> freaking bike seat you know when you say bike through the shire I just think of Lord of the Rings I don't know why but <laughs> uh but yeah, that's one of my favorite childhood memories. Um, this one always pops into my head and I don't know whether it's more of an embarrassing one for me or not. It's not really embarrassing. It was just in that moment I was. Um, so we were, my parents and I always used to go to a church, like Mulgoa Church. Have you been there? No. Um, so it's like out in the middle of the bush somewhere. And I just remember my, my dad's friends were there and they were like, Raghavi, you dance, right? And they were just standing around in a circle uh, and they were forcing, well, not forcing me. They were like, just dance. And I was in my, you know, Punjabi kurta, as you would say, just, just jumping, you know, just doing some little movements. And they loved it. And Aww. They, and they still bring it up. Like whenever I see them, they're like, no, I remember when you were a little girl, you used to be a little dancer. And now look at you. Aww. I, I don't know why, but I find that like, I felt like that was probably the moment where I was like, oh, people like it when I dance. dance. True. <laughs> That's good. And, you know, it's funny. I've got a similar one, not not from me dancing, but I 
remember so my dad was very connected to the indian tamil community and used to obviously sing at temple functions so we would always go to see different friends daughters ayengetrams and remember we went to canberra which is really really cold and i'm pretty sure we went in winter as well um, which is interstate for us and i saw what i thought was bharatnatyam at the time and it blew my mind because i knew this girl like as a family friend and she was such a quiet meek kind mm. of girl and then on stage she just owned that stage for like and however what is it an hour hour and a half something yeah. um and i was mesmerized i was just like i feel like i know a superstar and all these years later i found out so i tried to go to a guru to learn kathak and i ended up finding someone who said i don't do kathak but i can teach you kuchipudi and it turned out that kuchipudi is actually the specific dance that traces back to my mother's ancestral so my mom's from fiji they were blackbirded um like basically forced onto like stolen <laughs> in a way tricked onto boats um to get to fiji for manual labor but before that she's telugu she's from andhra pradesh and kuchipudi is actually the dance from andhra pradesh so the universe somehow that made me find this guru that taught me the dance that connects me to the ancestral homeland of my mother which i have no connection with and on top of that i found out that that dance performance i saw when i was a kid was actually kuchipudi wow it wasn't bharatanatyam so wow yeah that's also i i'll never forget seeing that performance of hers and we did see a number of you know friends daughters do their iron getrams but that particular one i just was mesmerized mm. and yeah what is a pet peeve of yours people not walking their talk oh if you say it do it if you're not going to do it don't say it like i can't stand lip service that really bothers me and there's a lot of blah blah blahing these days so <laughs> do the thing and be the thing don't just keep blah blahing yeah you know what same yeah yeah if if someone says they're going to do something do it because i'm very much someone where if i say i'm going to do something i'm going to do it i'm going to be in communication if i'm not going to do it or if it's going to go somewhere else and that's the other thing yeah if if things change <laughs> just communicate the change yeah. yeah i feel like south asians have this and i think because i'm quite westernized i see it they have this tendency where if they can't say yes or if things are change that they ignore make, you they just ignore you or they don't yes. yep. on yep. yeah um, Hold on, what's happening? I can't read your mind. What's happening right now? Can you do the thing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I I see it all the time. I agree. Um a celebrity whose life you'd want to experience for one day. Are we not celebrities? Are they <laughs> <laughs> Other than other than yourself. Famous? <laughs> Shit. Um living or living or dead? Anybody. Prince He's oh. my like I would have loved to just know what it's to be like to be a to be prince and just to I for me he was the closest to a like magic that has walked within my lifetime on this earth and just to know what it would be like to feel the effect that you that your music has when you play and to be that skilled and uh prince cool i was just thinking and i was like celebrity like i i've always said that i don't know whether i actually want to be famous famous because i yeah. know there's a lot of negative like things that come with that as well um so i went to the total opposite spectrum i'm thinking the dalai lama oh my god just gosh. because i want to experience enlightenment okay you know wow. and then i can come home and be like okay 
this is what I've got to do. Take these steps. Actually, exactly. I think I have to change my answer because Prince was pretty tortured. So <laughs> I don't know how pleasant that experience would be, but yeah. <laughs> and what's a PSA you want to leave our audience with? Ah, <clears throat> oh. just be kind and compassionate, and don't judge other people too much. <laughs> and yeah, just do you like. Public service announcement. Um, yeah, just find and own whatever it is that you are, and wherever that place is, and accept that. Yeah, whatever's happening, it's all a product of all the things that you've been through. Like, for better or for worse, don't you know? Don't it, it's it. It can be a real waste of time to wish away certain experiences. And I know, as brown people, especially as brown women, um. Most brown women I know have been through some pretty horrendous trauma. Um, so, yeah, just remember remember that what you see might not be what's underneath the surface of a lived experience and just, yeah, just have that mindfulness. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think we were, we were talking about this right before as well. It's so much easier for people to feel like they can be mean or cynical sometimes mm. because that's just if someone's positive – then it's immediately like, what's wrong with them? Why are they being that way? Why are they being so happy? So find your way to be happy because that is what's going to, you know, yeah, like you said, find out what you're going to be passionate about, what's going to fulfill you and stick to that. Mm. Be in alignment with that. You know, and, uh, Yeah, just be <laughs> conscious of your energy, I guess, both yeah. in terms of what you- what you're investing and also, yeah, what and what you're just putting out in the world mm. and just think about, the place that you're coming from mm-hmm. yeah all right well that's that's a wrap and you guys you guys the three goals i had for any podcast is entertaining learning and uh, there's one more but i forgot but i i feel like <laughs> you hit, i feel like you guys hit all three yeah you guys you guys are so amazing you hit all three um i think this is a great episode i mean uh it's probably typically longer than what i usually do but i think there was nothing kind of boring or filling about it. Like it was all like good stuff. So I want to just thank you guys for kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you guys for kind of hopping on and like sharing your story and words of wisdom. If people are listening to this and they're like, Hey, I want to connect with Raghavi and Shyamalan, like pick their brain or like, you know, collaborate, whatever it is, what's the best way for them to connect with you because i know you guys don't like social media or at least shamla doesn't but what's the best way when it comes to binley bosses i'm happy very very happy to um respond and connect with people so binley bosses on instagram um Ragvi's also got her own page on yeah do, but do you bin- like do you like people sliding to your dms on your personal page? <laughs> i mean sliding through them through binley bosses okay binley bosses <laughs> But, you know, yeah, I I absolutely, I I respond to everyone. I think it's important to be generous and um, connect with people as well. So, yeah, yeah, at Bindi Bosses, um, and we're getting a new website coming up as well. Oh, watch this space. Watch this space. Watch for new faces. I tried to rhyme. It didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's what I was also thinking. I feel like you guys could probably have your own podcast and it'd be very entertaining. <laughs> we're the fun factory. You should see what like we are quiet. We, we're we're like the quiet ones in rehearsal. Yeah. The, the the young ones are just like. Uh, I, don't, 
I don't believe it, but we'll see. I don't believe it. Most of my time just laughing. Picking <laughs> <laughs> up at their excitement, yeah. Um, well, I mean, um, I'll, I'll include the links to, I guess, your website if it comes up before this podcast kind of releases and um, put the Instagram account for Bindi Bosses. And before we kind of wrap it up, uh, for anybody listening, if you can give this podcast a five out of five, especially on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, that'd be amazing. And if you can comment, share, and like our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, that'd be great. And finally, if you have any feedback or ideas on future guests or topics, uh, reach out to me at hello at thetelmocreator.com. Well, thank you guys again, Shamla and Raghavi from Bindi Bosses for joining us. And uh, yeah. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having us. Can you say thank you in Tamil? Nandri. Wanakam. Nandri wanakam. Nandri. Nan. Say it again. Nandri. Nandri. Wanakam. Wanakam. Do you? Oh yeah, it's just. Ara, can you say pronunciation? My Tamil is horrible. My Tamil is like Tanglish. It's like. Tamil and English because it's only good enough for my mom to understand and nobody else. But I'll say, you said how to say thank you, Nandri, right? Nandri Vanakam. Nandri Vanakam. 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 We're we're gonna we're gonna use this last twenty seconds for sure as a blooper. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.